Recently, I found my historical interests have been ideological conflict of the 19th century and ideological conflict of the 4th century BC. So yeah, let's talk about the Cold War. Hey guys! One thing before I get started, I'm taking a summer course right now and it's been quite time consuming, so the episodes are going to get much shorter. R.I.P. This is also going to be part one in what will be a three-part series of shorter episodes on the Cold War, just to make my life easier over the next few weeks. I don't want to stop making episodes, but I also don't want to feel like I'm pushing myself so hard that this doesn't feel fun anymore and it's more like a burden. Also, I'm thinking of these episodes more of like a bird's eye view from a pretty American perspective. Because considering the span of the Cold War, it is difficult to cover the entirety of it. So I'm just going to assume you have some prior knowledge. But you know, if you want to be able to act like you know what you're talking about, this is all you need. And you know, that's definitely not what I do in every episode. (laughs) So similar to my episode on the Berlin Wall, we need to start today's episode at the end of the Second World War. As a refresher, the Allied powers are the US, the USSR, the UK, and the France. Uh, Fun fact, in World War I, it was essentially the same divide. We had Russia, the UK, and France on one side, and Germany, Italy, and Austria-Hungary on the other. However, at the time, the German side was considered the Triple Allies, or the Allied Forces, and the UK side was considered the Triple Entente. That obviously switched in World War II, and I found that really confusing in Grade 9 history, and honestly, I think they should have stuck with Triple Entente, because that just sounds cooler. But for the purposes of today's episode, the war has ended, which means that the only thing keeping these four nations allied is gone with the wind. And at a pivotal moment in history, as Europe, obviously Germany, but also Poland and Hungary and the Netherlands try to rebuild, the Allies kind of clash specifically the Soviets and the Americans. The Soviets, to absolutely no one's surprise, pushed for the establishment of more far-left governments in Eastern Europe. But this being a particular concern for the Americans, who stick their nose in everyone's business, and the British, who stick their flags in everyone's business, they wanted to do something. And in 1947, America did what they do best and made an already hostile climate more hostile by sending in troops. Essentially, and I won't get into it, but they stationed forces in a lot of places where the Soviets had either already installed communist regimes or were in the process of doing so. And this happened under the Marshall Plan, an agreement with the Western European powers meant to help Eastern Europe succeed economically. But it was also in response to what Churchill gracefully called the Iron Curtain. The Iron Curtain wasn't a physical boundary, but a symbol of the growing ideological divide in post-war Europe. On the one hand, we have Soviet-backed Eastern Europe with an abundance of communist regimes. On the other, we have Western Europe and American-backed capitalist regimes. Recognizing this indicates the underlying ideological reasons for the Marshall Plan. Americans had long been wary of Soviet communism and thought that they were trying to take over the world. All this to say, This marks a point in time that sort of solidifies the Cold War, the first indirect conflict between the two powers. 
But when talking about the ignition of the Cold War, it's hard to not discuss the atomic bomb. Because the creation of this new weapon, with the potential for mass, unprecedented destruction, and then the competitive creation of them over the next little while is pretty key to keeping the Cold War... well, cold. The thing is, both Russia and America wanted to destroy the hell out of each other, but knew that to do so meant destroying themselves in the process. So they came up with a strategy. They weren't going to go head-to-head with Russia. They were going to go butt-to-butt. No, I'm joking. They were going to contain them. This part I'm actually not joking about, though. Containment, as it was called. It was a popular strategy among most American diplomats, George Keenan specifically. As the face of it, he described it as such. Long-term, patient but firm, and a vigilant containment of Russian expansive tendencies. Like, okay, American, you're one to talk about expansive tendencies. And although I guess this is a better strategy than nuking them, it did provide some issues, most notably a rationale for, like, a mass weapons buildup. Which would, you know, be exactly what happened. Cue the arms race. So, as American officials strongly encouraged the development of more atomic bombs, Stalin followed suit. It doesn't take long for the Soviets to develop their own atomic bomb. They test the first one in 1947, and after that, shit gets real. Harry Truman, the American president in office at the time, responded by declaring that the Americans were going to build an even more destructive weapon. The hydrogen bomb. And once again, Stalin followed suit. I don't really know too much about Harry Truman, but doesn't this sound so Trumpy to you? Like, just, he's like, we're gonna build a bigger bomb then. That's, not, that's so Trump, you know? Uh, okay, that was off topic. Um, the first H-bomb ever tested created a 25 square mile wide fireball that vaporized an island and blasted a huge hole in the ocean floor with the power to destroy half of Manhattan. Needless to say, the stakes of the Cold War climbed to dangerous heights. Honestly, this is truly terrifying, and you can see why it would have such a strong effect on American domestic life as well. You know, we've all seen the movies, or maybe some of us even live during this time, when the question of if someone's a Russian spy is at the top of people's priorities. It's a little weird. You know, people were building bomb shelters in their backyards. Children were practicing drills at school. And it didn't help that in the 1950s to 1960s, there was a huge uptick of apocalypse movies about nuclear warfare, terrifying the public. That's like if Hollywood had already come out with a whole bunch of COVID-19 movies that were, like, dramatizing it. That would be weird. Well, you know, all this to say that the threat of the Cold War had become a constant presence in American life. And because of this, because of the way that the threat of communism and the Soviet Union specifically became so present in American culture, it led to what's now known as the Red Scare, and specifically McCarthyism, after Truman created the Committee on Un-American Activities. 
This sparked an internal siege of communism in America, or anyone suspected of being a communist. People were forced to renounce left-wing political beliefs and testify against their co-workers or risk losing their job. It became an epidemic in Hollywood. Over 500 people lost their jobs, many of which were unable to find work again for more than a decade. Spearhead of the Committee on Un-American Activities, Joseph McCarthy, eventually extended his investigation to federal government workers as well. This would result in the loss of thousands of jobs and multiple prosecutions. In fact, it was the biggest internal attack by the American government launched on American citizens to ever occur. But while this was happening on American soil, the Cold War looked much like a real war, a hardcore, violent war abroad. The indecisive Korean War offered a chance for both the Soviets and the Americans to flex their military muscles. After North Korea invaded the South with support from the Soviets, the Americans feared that this was just another step in their communist plot to take over the world. Naturally, Truman decided that intervention was the only option. But the war would drag to a stalemate in 1953, where it would remain indefinitely. The conflict accomplished nothing. Well other than allowing the Americans and the Soviets to fight each other without officially fighting each other. Following the conclusion of the Korean War and rising international tensions, Western nations did something which historically has never, ever, 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 ever made war more likely. They formed an alliance and called it the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which we now know as NATO. NATO was supposed to work like looking out for the little guy. The US aligned themselves with a whole bunch of smaller, less able to defend themselves from the Soviet-sized nations so that Stalin would be unable to invade or spread communist gospel, because if he did, the Americans got their back. But what happens when the Americans make any sort of preemptive war measure? Stalin follows suit. The Soviets retaliated with their own alliance, the Warsaw Pact, essentially functioning the same way as NATO. I'm, I'm just imagining the Americans seeing this and being like, oh, that, that's clever, we weren't expecting that one. But what exactly are the Soviets doing to warrant all this American attention? Honestly, and this isn't to say that there wasn't an actual threat for both nations, there absolutely was, but also, is it really off-base to say that rather than being afraid of the Soviets, they were afraid of the idea of them and vice versa? Maybe that's not cool and, like, analytical and observant at all. And, like, that's a thing everyone knows and thinks, but honestly, I was like, whoa, Nina, good job. But, um, the tensions did calm down a little from 1953 to 1957, likely as a result of Stalin's you know, anything but tragic passing in 1953, but don't get it twisted, the standoff remained, and it would climb to new heights in 1958, as the Soviets tried to develop intercontinental ballistic missiles. I think you know where this is going. But sadly, we all have to wait till next week. Today we have covered the first decade or so of the Cold War, from 1945 to 1957, obviously not in extensive detail, but, you know, I covered the major points, 
and we will kick it off next week in 1958. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye.